Hello and welcome to Believe. I am Vanessa. Um, you can find us believe.love or on YouTube, youtube.com slash believe loves you. Apple users believe iTunes.com and Android users believe android.com. Here at Believe, we focus on bringing you guys amazing stories, uh, conscious stories, of course, revolving around money and business, health and wellness, our universe, world news, and true success. Um, stop on by anytime just to see what's going on. Feel free to send us information as well. As you can see, we are constantly upgrading here and we're constantly getting things um, more and more into a better focus here. So thank you guys for bearing with us and for, for sticking around. So we're first going to stop um, today with money and business. And our topic for today revolving money and business is um, how to become an entrepreneur without quitting your day job. This is pretty awesome, I think. Um, it's something that not many people uh, think about for some reason. It's, you know, if you're thinking about starting a business, you're thinking about venturing out um, or starting a venture, doing something that's different than what you've been doing. But maybe, of course, you know, naturally you have fears of financial instability, you know, or abandoning that um, stability. And, you know, it's because we've heard crazy, amazing stories like Richard Branson, who just like went all in. Right, and then and he actually won big. He got something out of it, but I feel like most of us understand. Most of us understand that that's something kind of like an exception to the rule type of thing, right? And in reality, nearly fifteen percent of small businesses actually um, owners they actually have a second job while they're starting up, and that's something that I think that. A lot of young entrepreneurs um, really don't realize. We really don't think about that. You know, we want to jump in, we want to do our own thing, but um, it doesn't always make sense to jump in there without kind of a backup plan, or it doesn't really make sense just jumping in there heads on, head you know, head first without having you know, without just you don't have to completely cut off everything in your life. Basically, you can continue on with what you're doing and just kind of refocus some things, if you will. So, um, it's something that you can be doing right now, and I want to share some tips with you on how you can do that, and and essentially how you can get, um, I guess, from just having one job, maybe one that isn't satisfying you, maybe the one that's not fulfilling you, to maybe two jobs, to you know, maybe working towards owning your own business, which is awesome. So these tips are going to be coming to you from Hawk Media's uh, COO Tony Del Mercado. Um, he wrote an article for entrepreneur.com, how to start a side hustle without quitting your day job. And I got some great tips from him, um, talking about how he did it, um, how he basically, you know, jumped from one point to the next and how, um, he thinks, and so do I, that many other people can do it and they can, they can do it if they just, you know, put, put their minds to it. So, uh, your first tip here for uh, becoming an entrepreneur without quitting your day job is, um, scheduling like a boss but following that schedule like an employee. Now, definitely, definitely sticking to your own routine, sticking to your own schedule happens to be one of the hardest things, right? It's one of the most difficult things for us to do, but it's definitely the most important when you're trying to jump into starting your own business. You need to have your own schedule and you need to stick to it. So essentially every week, um, 
maybe on a Sunday, you know, maybe at the end of the week, beginning of the week, however you uh, perceive it, of course, you would make yourself a schedule. That's you as the boss. You're going to set time aside, you know, how many ever hours a day you, you believe would be necessary, you know, but you make your own schedule. And then throughout the week, you switch your focus into the employee and you get those tasks done because you know Sunday's going to come around and the boss is going to want to know what actually went down. So you want to be able to stick to your own schedule and start start sticking to your own your own words basically. Whatever you say that you're going to do, do. Because you're doing it for you at the end of the day. You really need to get into that mindset. And I feel like it might be easier even going to your day job once you realize, you know what I'm saying, that you, that that's exactly what it takes. You know what I mean? You might be become a better employee just by doing this, just by realizing that you have to get things done in order for things to move, right? So your second thing I would say is create two bucket lists, they say, or two buckets, um, a done list and a not done list. So when you're doing something like this, starting a business, it requires not only organization, but also focus and a lot of it. So you want to list your tasks according uh, to priority, according to your schedule, according to whatever makes sense to you. And then as you go through things, you can mark things down on your done list. And then, you know, maybe at the end of the week, you're going to notice that there are some things that didn't get done. You can put that on your not done list. Now, now I'm personally adding in just one more list. And I think this is for people that um, maybe need extra organization, but also for people that really um, are really jumping into a venture that's very, very, very different for them. You know, maybe you're jumping into, I'm not sure, maybe you need to learn how to build a website um, for, for, your, for your business, but you know nothing about building a website or you know very little about, or you're not so tech savvy, you know very little about, you know, the computer or what have you. So I would create an additional bucket where I would title it something like need more. And what that means to me um, would be need more information, need more education, need um, whatever it is. So maybe, you know, instead of just putting it on a don't or not done list and then you keep carrying it over each week, not done, not done, not done, why don't you focus on why it's not getting done? Maybe there's something that you're missing that's not, that you can't, you know, that's not allowing you to continue on. So I would say maybe something like that. I would put that in a need more list. I need to learn how to put this website together. I need to watch a tutorial to get this off the ground. So now you know that it's no longer just a not done item. It's something that requires more of your attention. That's just something that I found was really helpful for, helpful for me when I'm trying to make my list and I'm trying to hold to my own schedule. That need more list may come in handy for some of you. And third, his final tip is to revisit the origin frequently. <laughs> this is where um, I would say vision boards and legend goal cards, you know, really, really, really come in, come in handy. And it's, it's um, by means of reminding you physically, you know, um, reminding you visually of why you're doing what it is that you're doing. Too often, I feel that people truly lose touch with, you know, they lose base with whatever it is they're trying to accomplish. And I feel like we we normally chalk it up to, you know, lack of motivation. You know, we, we chalk it up to so many different kinds of things. Oh, I'm just too busy. Um, 
but personally, my, my own perspective on those things, or I honestly think it's just the lack of inspiration. I think you forgot why you're doing what you're doing because all it's going to take is that is that little spark of information like all it's going to take is just like two months down the line for you to be in that same train of thought again and be like oh my gosh yeah i said i was going to do this i still want to do this because it still matters to me and it's just because you just forgot about it you let other things get in the way um you let other things i guess carry more priority or more weight over your own goals and i just think that that's not something you should allow to happen especially when you can control something like that so you should definitely revisit the reason as to why you're starting this business or this venture. And this could help remain on um, this can help you remain focused as well. I think that it also helps you, of course, remain focused, but you can also um, I guess critique your progress. If you see, if you like had a vision for what it is that you wanted to do and you know that you wanted to do it this way, and then maybe you just forgot about the reasons, but you started actually getting in the groove of actually building this business. And then possibly when you go back to go look at your original notes and go back to revisit the original reasons as to why you did this, you may notice that things are different. Maybe you didn't go in the direction that you originally intended. Maybe things are evolving into something else. And I think it's a, I think you need moments like that to truly make that decision for yourself in that moment. You know, if you have um, a reminder, if you have something that, you know, reminds you to constantly look back to your original, you know, plans to see what's going on with, you know, your future plans, if you have something like that, I truly think that that would be beneficial to you. And like I said, for critiquing progress, you know, maybe you'll, you'll decide in that moment whether you want to continue with what you're doing or if you need to make a shift. If you don't think that, you know, maybe this isn't exactly what I wanted and this is more so what I wanted. So let's move towards that. But I definitely think that you need to, you need to look for your, your reasons. And I think there's going to be more than just one, but definitely go back to your original reasons that got you off of the ground to begin with, because that right there is definitely something that'll probably get you off the ground every time. So I would definitely say that as well. But, um, when doing my research, um, you know, for, for you guys here, for entrepreneurs trying to, you know, still keep their job, but trying to make something of themselves as well. I figured that there's, you know, there are a few other things that are that are missed here. And I considered that there are people that maybe already, you know, they know they want to be an entrepreneur and they've already considered that they're not going to quit their day job, but perhaps their day job right now, wherever it is that you are, perhaps it still requires or demands too much of you, maybe too much time, like it's full, full time or overtime and crazy stuff like that. Or maybe it requires too much energy from you. Maybe you literally can't even focus when you get home because it's one of those jobs that you have to take home with you type of thing. You know, if you're, if there are people I believe that are dealing with those kinds of situations that maybe they just want to find something like a little more part time or something that they can have a completely flexible schedule. And I totally feel like these are for people that truly need, need to focus the majority of their energy and time on their one project, on their business in order to feel fulfilled or in order to get things done even. This is for you, I would say. Um, you want to find a way to incorporate a flexible schedule in your life and also be able to, of course, you know, do what it is that you want to do. So I looked into um, some side hustle jobs, right? So that you that you can do and you can still work on your own business. And these tips 
are from Dara Brewstein. She's a serial entrepreneur and um, a networking guru. She's also the founder of Equitable Payments. And this is another um, article here from entrepreneur.com. And <clears throat> one of the first jobs that I would recommend to somebody that is trying to definitely stay focused on the right track um, as far as getting your business started, but they also realize that they're going to need to bring in some income as well on the side, but they don't want to necessarily have a career full, full, full-time job that they feel may demand too much of them. I would say the first thing to maybe consider is outsourcing yourself or freelance work. You know, if you possess a skill that maybe, you know, people would compensate you for or people would appreciate you, you know, having. Normally, skills would be something, you know, creative or technical, um, non-leader non uh, video editors, graphic designers, um, things like that, software development. You know, you owe it to yourself, of course, to hone in on that, to look into that and to see if maybe you can find work doing something that you already know how to do and that you're probably good at and people would probably compensate you handsomely for. So freelance work is great for individuals with busy schedules, as most of us know. And, you know, if you just want a flexible schedule, starting something freelance was always a good way to go. So that's one way. Two would be, you know, selling items on eBay or Amazon. People have actually found um, this to be very profitable. And I've heard of a lot of people literally starting online businesses overnight, you know, just by using these, these platforms, eBay and Amazon. And it requires, you know, a very little amount of work. You may have to do some research, of course, learning their campaigns, learning about their, you know, their software and whatever else. But that obviously is not a lot of work compared to, you know, how, how great this opportunity could be for you. That's also something to consider. Maybe you have a lot of junk laying around, or maybe you know, maybe you have access to you know different kinds of goods that you can get for you know half price, and then you can still sell them, and make something out of it. You know, these, these are little things to consider, of course, when you're trying to when you're trying to mainly focus on your goals and mainly focus on getting your business off the ground, but you still need income coming in. Three, um, become a driver. You know, we have taxi drivers now. We have things like Uber and Lyft, and I've heard of a lot of people earning a lot of extra crafts doing stuff like this. Um, I know a lot of actors do stuff like this. I happen to know a few actors that um, they, they, they swear by Uber. They've made like $500 in one night. It really does depend on, you know, the, the environment as well as the time, um, I would say, of course, when it comes to making things like $500 in one night. But these are things that are always around. I think that, you know, might be events that are going on. You know, we're in Miami. So there are always there's always things going on. And so that like if there's an event going on, then you would know that you might make a lot of money during that event because there are people, you know, trying to get from point A to point B. Um, or holidays, stuff like that. I know people that really, they only jump on Uber or jump into these kinds of services around certain times of the year. Maybe look into when is the best time in your local area. Um to, to, you know, look into something like this. That can also go a long way. And the last one here I would say is invest in real estate. Now, there are a lot of ways to make really good money in real estate. And actually a lot of them, many of them, which most of us wouldn't think so, but many of them can require, you know, um, not so much your full-time effort. <laughs> Some of them like flipping houses, um, I guess, landlording, wholesaling, stuff like this. There are ways that you can make, you know, good money in real estate and still, you know, really not be doing 
the, the heavy lifting in real estate. Um, I do believe that this is an option, of course, that would require a lot of education. Regardless of, I would think that just because if you're going to get into something, you would want to know the ins and outs. You want to know everything about it. So maybe this isn't the best option for everybody out there. But I would say for somebody that is very that's interested in um, really, really, really focusing on their goals while you know consistent revenue comes in. It may be worth it to just take a few, you know, a few weeks and and invest in real estate education and and possibly, you know, move your way towards real estate just to make, I would say, make ends meet, you know, as you're trying to figure out what's going on with your business. So there you have it. Um, Quite a few different tips here on how to become an entrepreneur without quitting your job, as well as looking into some other side hustle gigs that can also help you and beneficial to you financially as you pick yourself up and um, continue on looking for more work or, in a sense, looking for work that satisfies you. I think that's very important, and I think that's what all entrepreneurs are kind of looking for work that satisfies you. So I would say definitely look into those, find more tips and just keep it moving. Next, we're going to be moving on to true success. Um, and we're still, we're still on this topic of romance and love over here with true success as well as longevity and uh, fighting for your relationships and through your relationships and making everything count. So today with true success, I'm going to go over with you um, the few questions, six to be specific, that you absolutely should ask your partner before getting married to them. These questions um, are very, very, very important in my opinion, of course. And I think that there is this weird gray area when we jump into marriage and people. And there are things that I think that people believe that we shouldn't ask, that we shouldn't talk about, like money and stuff like this. And, you know, well, it's too controversial. Um, But, you know, we really do have to look at things in a little more realistic manner in the sense that if we're going to join our lives together, then we're definitely going to be joining our financial issues together. So there's a lot of things that, that need to be discussed, I think, before you jump into making that commitment. And I mean, as we know, at this point, 40 to 50% of marriages end in divorce, according to the American Psychological Association. So I think that it could really, really help for many people to, to maybe venture into what it is that, that that's going on wrong, I guess, but what's going What is going on with with marriages in in our society? I think that there's a lot of things, you know, people are falling in love and they're falling out quickly. And it might be because of this huge thing that all of us know about relationships, communication. Communication is definitely key. It's key, key, key. And I would even go further as to say that there are things that, you know, each couple needs to discuss um, before they even get serious, <laughs> before they even allow, before they even, I, I don't want to say waste time, but you know, before you even move on to certain things, I think that you need to make sure that you're on the same page. So from an article, um, on mind body green by Nicole Mayer, we're going to jump in to, um, the six questions that you need to go over with your partners before, you know, signing that paper before getting married. Number one, um, on this list here would be how much can we spend before we have to alert each other? Yes. I know that when we first hear that, there, there are so many couples and I'm, I'm probably going to be one of them that like, 
that that whole concept of having to check in with someone or that whole concept of being like babied, you know, it's not appealing to a lot of us. And a lot of us, maybe we get really sensitive about it. We get weird about it when we have to like, I'm going to go spend $5 at, you know, McDonald's or something. You know, you don't want to feel like you're a child in your own relationship. But I think that number one is so important because you need to have preparation. I think it's better to have a system in place to at least know, like, listen, if we're going to spend $1,000, we got to talk about it first. It makes sense because you guys are going to have financial, like I said, it's a, it's now a joint financial pot, if you will. So, you know, if one person's thinking we have this amount, the other person thinks, you know, knows we have less than that, that could ultimately cause problems. And I'm not sure if, you know, most of us know money is definitely like the number one factor in marital dissatisfaction. So there's no surprise that a lot of these are going to be discussing um, or revolving around money. But definitely, I think that Having that whole idea of checking in with somebody, having that whole idea of it's just, this is our plan and this is our goal, this is our budget, would definitely go a long way. So that's number one. How much money can we spend before I have to let you know? Number two, how will we handle the cost of children? Now, this doesn't necessarily mean uh, like child care or extended maternity leave, stuff like that. It means like, are we going to look into, um, in vitro fertilization, you know, private schooling versus public schooling? Are we going to do homeschooling? You know, whether you want to buy your child a car or are you going to put money aside for college? Is that something that you're going to start right away after they're born prepaid accounts? Or are you just going to, you know, wing it out until they turn 18? These are things that really, really definitely need to be discussed because depending on how you're raised, you know, you're going to have a different perception as to what is obligated of a parent and, you know, your partner's going to have a different perspective. So you guys really need to get on some kind of common ground here as far as what is, what are our lives going to be when children come into the picture? What do you consider we need to do as a parent? What do I consider we need to do as a parent? So sorting out these in advance. Will probably save you know your relationship a significant amount of strain and stress. So definitely, how are we going to handle the cost of children? Number three, um, would you consider returning to school? This is a very interesting one because I know that there are so many couples that get together. Life hits you, you know. You never know when anything is going to happen per se. You know, they 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 get together and maybe one of them was in the, one of them was in the middle of schooling. Maybe things, you know, dial down or whatever. And then eventually over time, maybe you're going to want to go back to school. That's something that definitely should be discussed before you jump into a marriage. Um, Because this could be a significant financial burden for you both. You know, I've heard, and this is something that's heard about a lot actually, so many couples get together. One of them is supporting the other. And then it isn't until, you know, that they get divorced later on down the line. And one of them was completely supporting the other partner, you know, going through schooling or going through this. And it's like, and it maybe because of that, that very reason, because they were supporting them while they were going to school, the other person wasn't bringing in money and it was never actually talked about before they got married. So the person that is supporting them, you know, feels maybe like they're taking, they're, they're being taken advantage of, you know, you hear these stories and it's just because they didn't talk about it just because they didn't have the same understanding. Like, no, I want a career. No, I want to accomplish this then 
these things happen. People, you know, get unhappy, people get frustrated, and then, then it's too late to discuss it. So I would definitely say, um, talk about whether you want to go back to school. Talk about if that's something that needs to be on the table. You know, everyone will be more comfortable when these things actually become a reality if you decide to talk about it now. Number four, uh, what is your policy on helping out family? Ooh, this is also um, a huge one, a huge one. Um, you know, what if your brother needs $500? Do I need to tell you? What if it's your mother and she needs thousands of dollars for surgery? You know, it, does that also, does that matter? I think that these things um, are a huge deal, especially because there are so many couples that get married and then they don't realize that they also got married to their partner's families. And it's like, ideally, yes, that is true. We're, 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 we're uniting and we're bringing in all these different resources. But sometimes it's and it's not anticipated and it's uninvited and there are and there are you know things that are not there are things that are not discussed of course they can they can end up getting blown up and they can end up looking really weird if 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 um if I sound if I sound right um, <clears throat> but when it comes to when it comes to exactly how you're going to treat family or how you're going to I guess go about family issues, it definitely needs to be talked about because maybe you're a, you're a person that's not so, I guess, big on family. But then maybe your partner um, talks to their family every day. So you guys need to kind of set some kind of, you know, ground rules as far as, you know, is there a budget maybe? I've heard of people literally having budgets for their family. You know, we're not going to spend more than X a month on family. We're not going to spend more than X a year on family. You know, figure these things out though. Uh, before you get in the habit, before you guys get together and before you start spending money, um, definitely figure out your budget and your plan. <laughs> Number five, I would say, when do you want to retire? Now, this is also huge. Um, this can be a bit ahead of things, of course, um, especially if you're young, you're just getting into marriage, but... Um, it may be helpful to understand your partner's lifelong goals before you jump into marrying them. You know, do you want to travel? Uh, do you want to live in, you know, sunny Florida, a warm environment, or are you okay with winter? You know, these things definitely need to be talked about as well because knowing, you know, that your partner wants to own a business and retire by 40 you know, that should let you know that there's going to be a lot of hard work <laughs> and sleepless nights between now and then. You know, you get an idea of what your life is going to look like when you understand, you know, what you want, what your partner wants their life to look like. So definitely talk about these things as well. When is retirement going to be in the picture? Um, what exactly comes with retirement? Is it a number? Is it an age? Is it an accomplishment? Do you need to accomplish this before you retire? Which means it could be tomorrow. It could be when you're 60. You know, these are things that need to be talked about. And, um, I know that they would, it would totally help your relationship. Amazing, amazing, amazing numbers because you're communicating because you're discussing your life and your goals. And, and when you put it out into the airwaves and you guys, and you guys talk about it, then you're no longer just living in it on your own. You know, you can start to make it a reality and you can start to actually move towards this retirement with your partner rather than keeping it to yourself and just kind of worrying about it on your own. You know, that's not fun for anyone. And we're both in this relationship. So you would want that your partner to just be as invested as you are. <clears throat> and finally, 
How should we spend our fun money? There are couples uh, who love to travel. Then there are couples who literally spend and save and save and save and save for a new kitchen appliance. You know, but what kind of couple are you? That needs to be discussed as well, you know, because maybe one of you guys thinks that we need to blow off the steam and the other one is only seeing their goals, only wants to accomplish, 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 no time to rest or play. That's something that needs to be discussed. So make sure that your partner um, would love to spend that their fun money the same way that you want to spend your fun money and make sure that those goals align. Ultimately, money is a huge factor in our lives and definitely in relationships. And all of these things, all of these six items and everything else that lets us know that these things need to be talked about um, to keep those relationships alive and well, to keep things on moving. So I would definitely say discuss these things with your partner um, and discuss more things than this, you know, and continue to talk to them about your goals. I think maybe something like this, like these six topics, you know, discuss it in the beginning of your relationship, discuss it before you guys actually get married and discuss it maybe every five years or so. Discuss it often because goals might change. The way that you perceive things and the way that you perceived your career your retirement even, maybe, you know, a little different. Things will change. So I think that you need to be very open with your partners and constantly, constantly talk about these things. All right, moving along here to health and wellness. And what we have for you today on health and wellness is a very interesting subject here revolving around the alkalization, if I could say the word, um, of crystal-infused water. Have you heard of this? You might have. It's been around for uh, a little bit now. It's not that new, but it is ever so increasing as far as like the popularity and everything else revolving around it. There's a few things we want to discuss before we just jump into crystal-infused water. You know, really what we're getting at here is the alkal is the alkalinization so the alkaline versus the acid, but then even more so just another step as to why they're, they're using crystals to do this as well. So alka understanding alkalinization or alkaline versus, um, alkaline versus acidic, um, it all has to do with our pH levels, which is the potential of hydrogen. So I guess, um, I believe if it's more hydrogen, then it's a lower pH. So <clears throat> the alkaline in the alkaline water refers to the pH levels. A pH level is a number that measures how acidic or alkaline is, is um, a substance is on a scale from 0 to 14. Now this taken um, from WebMD, a pH of 0 is totally acidic, 100%, while a pH of 14 is completely alkaline. A pH of 7 is neutral, so it's right in the middle between the two. Now, those levels vary throughout your body, the acidic levels and the alkaline levels. Your blood is slightly alkaline now, with a pH between 7.35 and 7.45. Your stomach is very acidic, and it has a pH of 3.5 or below, so it can break down your food and all of that. And then your urine changes depending on what it is that you're eating. So that's how your body keeps the level in your body steady. It works with the acid, works with the alkaline, and it moves, it moves around to keep a consistent level anywhere between 7.35 and 7.45. That's just a little understanding about what the pHs are, pH levels are, alkaline versus acidic. Now we understand where it is on the scale. 
So alkaline water um, has a pH of eight or nine. That's pretty high and that's pretty, that's pretty alkaline, right? Regular tap water is generally a six or seven. So it's either acidic, unfortunately, or it's right in the middle, it's neutral. Um, so water is naturally alkaline, we'd love to believe. Water that is naturally alkaline, I'm sorry. It occurs when water passes over rocks, like in springs, and it picks up minerals, which increase its alkaline levels. That's why spring waters, they're usually known to be the freshest waters, and they're high in alkaline. There are many advocates that believe alkaline water can neutralize the acid in your body, while others believe that our body works to keep these levels constant regardless of our acidic or alkaline intake. But that latter statement can't be entirely true when we research in cases of individuals pH imbalance, right? If we could naturally do that on, uh, on every, every single one of us, then why would we even have something, you know, called pH imbalance? Why would we have that? And <clears throat> pH imbalances are usually due to improper diets, stress, and lifestyle choices. They say that even too much exercise or cardio can drop your pH level, can make you more acidic. So we want to know what happens to the body when our pH is too low. What exactly is the issue there? At first, the body tries to compensate and it brings the pH back to an optimum level. For example, minerals such as potassium, sodium, magnesium, and calcium, they're taken from our vital organs and our bones and they counteract the acid. But this cannot go on indefinitely. So sooner or later, the acidic environment starts to attract all sites of elements. So yes, we can work against it. We can fight against it. And our body will try to work um, through that and it'll try to pull out other, you know, other resources, potassium, sodium, calcium, magnesium. It'll try, but it won't go on for long. It can't go on for long. Eventually, these things are going to run out and it'll basically just almost in a sense, eat itself, if, if you will. So we definitely want to be mindful of having too low of a pH level and signs of you being too acidic, signs of low pH levels, um, headaches, confusion, exhaustion, um, tremors, anything like that may be signs that your pH level is too low. Now you can get alkaline water at grocery stores, um, or you can even make your own. You can make your own alkaline water by adding a squeeze of lemon or lime into a glass of water, and that'll make it more alkaline. Even though lemon and lime um, are acidic, they contain minerals that can change the composition of water, making it alkaline. So adding pH drops is also another way uh, to increase the pH and make it alkaline. You can add the pH drops to any type of water, but they do say that it's important to use distilled water over um, tap water because tap water may have other additives. So let's move over to this whole crystal infused water. So now they're, they're, they're being able to alkalinize crystals. Is that what's going on? So so-called high vibration water. It isn't new, like I said. Some sources say that even the ancient Greeks dropped gemstones in the bottle of their water jugs, right, to, to crystallize their water as well. Blue Moon Dream Water, which is a tonic that's charged with lipis lazuli, 
and infused with anti-inflammatory uh, clitoria flower and cleansing sages. It's sold at London's Nectar Cafe. And founder of Nectar, um, Katia Phillips, explains that lupus lazuli reveals inner truth and promotes self-awareness in the acceptance of that knowledge. She says that we also add in a special sacred moon extract that Michael Ested from the Herbal makes. It contains mugwort known to help interpret dreams and gain insight into spiritual and magical work. So that is pretty cool when you, when you hear about things like that. And then Lucy Sherwood, who um, is a jewelry designer, she feels like the best possible way to replenish nutrients, particularly after meditation or yoga, is to have this blue moon water or to have crystallized water. It tastes super clean and cleansing, like a clear blue sky on the coldest day of winter. She says the sage is subtle, but it's beautifully refreshing. And she's also a meditation instructor. Sherwood now makes her own blends of this crystallized water for her client sessions and workshops. So how exactly does this happen? Like, why would you want to drink crystal water? It does sound pretty magical, but what exactly are they trying to say that it does? Water um, is a universal storage medium and becomes attuned with the unique vibrations of a crystal during the infusion process. These are words of Lauren Glucinia. She's a student of naturopathy sorry, and herbal medicine. Um, she created popular wellness blog, Ascension Kitchen. And she says, upon drinking the infusion, we take in the vibrations and the etheric properties transferred over from the crystal. These subtle energies are thought to have a, pos a positive influence over the organs in the body, and they amplify consciousness. So you can make your own crystal water at home, and per Glucinia, what she would say is place a cleansed crystal first in a small glass jar. So make sure that crystal is clean. Then stand the jar in a large bowl of pure spring water. So put the crystal in a jar, put the jar in a bowl of water and make sure that water is pure spring distilled water. Leave it in to charge in the sun for several hours. Leave it on your porch, your front yard, leave it in the sun all day. And then after which you can remove the crystal and transfer the water to the fridge for drinking, or you can drop it in a bottle of in a bottle for dispensing throughout your day. But that is how you can make your own crystallized water, and it's very much connected to the crystal energies and the energy that's already in the crystals. That is pretty cool to me. Definitely look further into that as well. Do more research on how you can make your own crystallized water. We are going to move on here to our final topic today. Under the topic of our universe, we're going to be discussing brain activity found in a deceased patient after 10 minutes. So this man was considered clinically deceased, but they could see that he was still, you know, experiencing brain activity. How could this be? So a recent study, um, <clears throat> The person was, like I said, considered clinically dead, meaning that his heart registered um, no activity on the ECG. 
Um, and it presented a flat line, but electrical activity was found in the brain after their heart flatlined. A study led by the University of Western Ontario in Canada and published in the Canadian Journal of Neurological Sciences found activity in the form of a burst of delta waves, which are associated with deep sleep, suggesting to researchers that each individual may experience death uniquely. Very, very interesting and definitely something that I always considered. For their work, the researchers examined the EEG recordings from four patients. Such a test is meant to determine brain activity. So doctors call the time of death, time of death, um, death once they flatlined. However, in this case, one out of the four patients still showed brain activity about 10 minutes after they flatlined. And they haven't ruled out equipment malfunctions as being a reason, even though to this point in time, they still can't find anything. They have no evidence that that could lead to that. But they're not ruling that out. It could just be malfunctions. Um, but the researchers noted that there were no evidence of a death wave, which what that means is a surge in brain activity. It comes um, mere moments after death. So if it's just like a few seconds afterwards, they have a term for that, a death wave. As soon as they die, they're like, okay, maybe there will be a little activity. But 10 minutes, that is quite some time for there still to be activity going on in this man's brain. Such findings may create um, issues for organ donors, right? If we can prove that this man is not dead after we say that he's dead, that could obviously cause issues with organ donors, with the researchers noting that there is a potential for medical, ethical, and legal concerns, since death is being determined by circulation. If we're saying that, you know, the heart stops, so that, that, that is the end of death, but we still have other machines hooked up to him and we're still seeing other kind of circulation and activity, can we say that he's fully dead? Can we announce this person dead anymore? And that's something that they're still trying to figure out what exactly is going on. Other factors to take into consideration include that the study's minute, minute sample size, and the fact that all of the patients were extremely ill and taking heavy sedatives. They're taking that into consideration as well. Maybe there's something else that they're not considering. But I wanted to go into some other studies here because, like I mentioned, this is still something that's up in the air, but none of this information is new. This is not the first time that we have had experiences or studies about life after death. Um, and I'm sure it won't be the last. There are a lot of studies revolving around this. Um, Dr. Bruce Grayson, considered to be one of the fathers of near-death studies. He's a retired professor of psychiatry and neurobehavioral science at the University of Virginia. He describes documented cases of individuals who were clinically dead, which just means that they're showing no brain activity, but they're observing everything that was happening to them on the medical table below at the same time. He describes how there have been many instances of this, where individuals are able to describe things that, they sh that should have been impossible for them to describe. So they're unconscious. They're unconscious, maybe under surgery, but they're still aware of what's going on, you know, with them during this surgery. These are things that are, it's really weird and mind-boggling for scientists to, to understand. Um, he also mentions that this type of study has been discouraged due to our tendency to view science as completely materialistic, meaning, you know, seeing is believing, um, so to speak. 
in the scientific community. These studies have been happening and this information is not new, like I mentioned. In 2001, the, at the Lancet, it published a 13-year study on near-death experiences. A total of 344 patients were, no, were monitored by the team of researchers, and an astonishing 18% of them had some sort of memory from when they were dead or unconscious, you know, when they were showing no brain activity. And 12%, that's about one out of every eight of them, had a very strong, deep experience that they could relate to or they could speak on. Keep in mind that these experiences have occurred when there was no electrical activity in the brain following the cataract arrest, meaning that the doctors that are, on, that are on the outside that are watching these patients, they cannot see on their monitors any brain activity. But these patients are recalling to them information and memories, actual memories of things that had just happened. And that is what is mind-boggling to these scientists, of course. So statement... I'm going to read to you a statement from Dr. Gary Schwartz. He's a professor of psychology, medicine, neurology, psychiatry, and surgery at the University of um, Arizona. And here's just a few things that he has to say to some of these doctors. Some materialistically inclined scientists and philosophers refuse to acknowledge these phenomena because they are not consistent with their exclusive concept of the world. Rejection of post-materialistic um, investigations of nature or refusal to publish strong science findings support a post-materialist framework are antithetical to the true spirit of science, scientific inquiry, which is that empirical data must always be adequately dealt with. Data which do not fit favored theories and beliefs cannot be dismissed as priori. Such dismissal is the realm of ideology not science. So this tells us that there is so much that we don't know about ourselves, our biology, our neurology. Some of these doctors, um, they clearly have difficulty accepting these realities or accepting new research or information or, you know, how can there be brain activity when we said that he was dead? Um, and that's funny to me because it's like, we are human. We are, we are mere human. You know, you're a human being trying to make sense of another other human being's experience. So if you say that this is the time of death, that doesn't mean it's the time of death. And I feel like that may be, may be what's going on with these scientists, how Dr. Schwartz puts together, you know, so brilliantly that, you know, you need to look at the data. You need to look at the information that's being presented. Um... Every single time. I wish that they that was literally a part of being a scientist, that you had to, you were obligated to walk into a room stripping away all of the information you think you know so that you can actually get some information on what's being presented. Because it's true. We already have our own perceptions of the world. We have our own perceptions of what science is. And so when we walk into these situations, we're already just hesitant. We don't want to hear what's happening because we already think we know. And I think that we definitely need to go back um, and rethink that whole mindset. We need to go back and we need to continue to research, to continue to look into these things. There are many, many, many more studies. Like I said, this is not new information um, regarding this life after death concept. So I definitely encourage all of you to continue doing research on this. What exactly is going on and can we find some more information? Can we find some credible information um, that can get maybe the way that they do this entire thing um, to even be a different type of routine. If we weren't, um, I guess, if we maybe had another procedure after the flat line to be sure that there was no way to bring them back, that could probably potentially help us out. Because I don't know, when we hear about this brain activity, 
in a patient that's been dead for 10 minutes. It could be some of us may think that maybe this patient wasn't dead. Maybe there was something that we missed, you know, and now unfortunately he is dead, but we maybe could have uh, prevented that. So I encourage you to continue to do more research, continue looking in, continue to, you know, keep on fighting and join us back here whenever. Absolutely. We are Believe. We are a conscious media group. We're always bringing you new stories revolving around our universe, new uh, world news, health and wellness, as well as true success and money in business. I'm Vanessa and thanks so much for joining us.